Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 39, Business and Buckets coming at you on this beautiful Wednesday morning. Well, fellas, performance is the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you guys need Counterattack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and health heart, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. So let's face it, we all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves. We want to increase vitality inside and outside the gym with Counterattack. The miss... The misses will thank you guys for it. So don't wait. Head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products except whey protein. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off. And like I always say, if you guys are buying supplements, check out Field Supplements, helping a small business versus the big corporations. It's 2021. That's what it's all about. We got to work together. But also, shout out Josh Morin. Happy birthday. Helping me out here at, uh, at Business and Buckets as the first and only sponsor of the Business and Buckets podcast. A little coffee-fee in me. So we could talk some NFL. Lots of things happening in the NFL world. Uh, watched some hard knocks last night. A big reason why I didn't record last night. I'm recording today. We also had the NFL Hall of Fame game, my Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Cowboys, whether that game matters at all. Uh, For me, I was more excited about the Hall of Fame um, inductees and the speeches itself. Uh, But in some NFL news, we have the Raiders signing Gerald McCoy, getting a big boy to anchor down that defensive line. I like this signing. I think uh, Gerald McCoy still has something left in the tank and still has things to prove. Uh, So big move by the Cowboys. He is definitely an NFL veteran. He is 33 years old, so he is a little bit older, but he's had good production, and I think they just need a big body in the middle to, to, to make some plays. So big moves by the Raiders uh, with Gerald McCoy. And then in Steelers news, James Washington supposedly requesting a trade from the Steelers, uh, complaining about playing time. We do have uh, Chase Claypool. We have our tight ends, Fearmuth now and Ebron. We have Deontay Johnson, uh, Juju Smith again for the year. I could see a, a situation where he does request a trade. You know, he's up on contract year. He hasn't made a ton of money. Plus, you know, the Steelers would probably like to have him because he is a cheaper option. He is a great receiver. He does have a connection with Rudolph if that is, you know, a, a future quarterback of the Steelers. And um, with Juju most likely moving on next year, they could use the depth. So Tomlin said that wasn't true. Uh, Where there's smoke, there's fire. How would this get made up? It's a logical request for me. So I wouldn't be surprised. And as a Steelers fan, if that's what he wants, I wouldn't mind trading him to get something in return versus letting him just go most likely into offseason anyways. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that'd be a tough loss for the Steelers. He was a a good time draft and a tough all-around, well, good receiver. But we just are, are stacked at that position. Josh Allen with a massive extension with Buffalo now becoming one of the highest-paid quarterbacks and highest-paid players of all time. I'm getting up the details here. $43 million per year. Holy shit. I saw this photo that I'm going to pull up on, I think, Instagram too, which just kind of shows you some things. It says, 21 seasons, Tom Brady has made $263.5 million. In six seasons alone now, 
uh, Josh Allen will have made $258 million. Almost have a career earnings just in salary, NFL salary. Obviously, there's, you know, um, lots of different ways for them to make income. Uh, but great for the Bills. They have their franchise quarterback. Obviously, I'm a huge Josh Allen fan. You know, I'm from Wyoming. He played at the University of Wyoming. Uh, probably rocked one of the better Wyoming football teams in a long time. But when I see something like this and that kind of amount of money, you're having to take money uh, from elsewhere on the team. The Bills are a good team. Are they better than the Chiefs today? I don't think so. So, you know, for me, they have a short Super Bowl window. And when you're paying a guy that much money, usually it doesn't equal Super Bowls, right? The Tom Brady is a perfect example. Big Ben's won a couple. He's taken pay cuts a lot of his career to get that done. Drew Brees didn't take pay cuts. How many Super Bowls did he win, right? So it, it's kind of a hit or miss thing. The players definitely want it. There's a lot of player empowerment going on. The NBA is creating a lot of chaos. Uh, other sports get paid a very lucrative contracts outside the NFL, and NFL gets the best ratings. So it's a tricky thing, but with the salary cap still in place, this isn't baseball. I'm interested to see how this plays out for the Bills because they're going to have to take away money elsewhere, and that's tough. You know, you really need a full team to win an NFL Super Bowl. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. I do think Josh Allen gets better, um, but I just don't think the Bills are a Super Bowl, a true Super Bowl contender because you got to be better than the Chiefs in the AFC. The NFC stacked. And are they going to be able to keep a, uh, a, a, a good competitive team on the field for a long amount of time? So interesting contract for sure. I know that the salary caps increase. So when we compare those numbers to Brady, it's not a fair, uh, you know, apples to apples, but it's still a lot of goddamn money and they don't have unlimited money. So just keep that in mind. Bill's fans, you tuning in, you might want to be a little worried there. Xavier Howard actually staying in Miami after requesting a trade. Uh, he gets a nice contract. That's huge for Miami. They got to have that defensive secondary hold up if they want to win games. And then my guy, one of my favorite players in the NFL, Darius Leonard, signing a $99 million contract for five years. One of the highest paid linebackers. He deserves it. This guy is a fucking man on a mission. He hits hard. He's fast. He can cover. He's just got the football IQ. And he and the Colts definitely saw that. So uh, awesome signing there by the Colts. Um, another Steelers player, Joe Hayden, saying he wants to retire with the Steelers and wants an extension. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm probably probably the biggest Joe Hayden fan. The swagger that he brings, the leadership that he brings. I really like him. And when we got him from the Browns, I could not believe it. But he is 32 years old. He is a little bit slower. He does come in good shape. He does come to compete. But when we're talking a top-tier corner, unless he wants to take a, a lower salary for a couple-year extension, I don't ever see corners go into their mid-30s that perform well. Um, one of the better corners that I could relate to would probably be Richard Sherman in his 30s, the, just the performance he had with the Niners. Right, He's 33 years old. He's, he's fallen down as well. So I just don't know if that's going to be something that happens unless he gets a very team-friendly contract. If that's the case, absolutely. We'd love to have him. He'd come into our second, maybe third corner at the end of his contract. Uh, but it's hard to pay someone like that. It's just, it's facts. The Steelers know this. They, they don't like paying for repetitive contracts in certain positions at certain age groups. And we have to pay TJ Watt the house, which I hope gets done soon. So I don't know how I feel about this. It depends on the money. I hope it happens at a team-friendly contract. If he wants a lot of money, I would be skeptical on giving him that. I hate that. Sorry, Joe Hayden, you're tuning in. Love you, my man. It's just a tough world out there. And then Hunter Henry supposedly missing weeks for the Patriots, uh, nursing a shoulder injury. 
that's going to be tough trying to build the chemistry with that offense, you know, potentially multiple quarterbacks be playing and starting this year. Uh, they also have um, Johnu Smith at tight end. So if you're a fantasy football player, I definitely would take risk here. The Patriots do love t two tight end sets, but I wouldn't expect him to really pop off based with this injury until a lot later in the season. And also another TJ or another Steelers news, TJ Watt holding out, you know, he hasn't been practicing in training cap till he gets his extension. You know, Rooney talked about that being a high priority. Tomlin does as a Steelers fan. We know that's a priority. I'd expect it to get done. We're talking record breaking numbers here. So I imagine it'll take time, but hopefully we could get him on the field sooner than later, get the repetitions in um, because yeah, I just want to make sure he's ready to go full board. We need that defensive player of the year to be able to come in and perform. Yes, I know he didn't win Defensive Player of the Year. Aaron Donald did. But goddamn, you look at those numbers. I think he's well-deserving. This isn't a popularity contest. It's a statistical contest. Another big name, Saquon Barkley, activated by the Giants. We had talked about the headline of them taking him slow. It'll be interesting to see how much involvement he gets in preseason, what kind of repetitions he gets. You know, how much are they trying to keep him healthy? Definitely something to keep an eye on because there's definitely risk of re-injury here. I'd put him in a high-risk category. He just put a lot of wear and tear on that body, and the human body can only handle so much. Uh, Sean Watson back with the Texans. You know, there's been rumors of him going to the Eagles. They expect him to be the starting quarterback now. At least he's playing football. It looks like he's going to play this season. Uh, will it be for the Texans a full year, though? That is to be determined. Who is willing to take a risk on, on him with all of the, the court cases happening? Robert Griffin, RG3, joining ESPN as a broadcaster for college football, and he will do weekly coverage for ESPN and ABC games. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him in the booth. I have not seen him do that. I know he is a very well-spoken and educated man, so excited to see him, his opportunity. At least he has a potential job here. You know, as an ex-journalism major, it's tough seeing all these ex-athletes take the jobs. As a true journalism major like myself isn't getting that opportunity, but a guy like that, that's great, right? He's had knee injuries. He's gotten a lot of slander thrown his way. He's gone through a lot of shit. It's awesome to see he could find the lane here. Hopefully it works out. Definitely be interested to see him um, as an analyst in the booth. I guess there's rumor that if, if he wants in his claws, if the NFL wants him, he could bounce and go to the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously he would like to do that. The Lions signed Roby Coleman from the Eagles, shoring up that secondary, getting some help there. Uh, figured I'd bring that up. That's a noteworthy name. And then um, how about the NFL Hall of Fame speeches? Whew. I was in chills as a Steelers fan. Obviously, it looked like a Steelers game there. You had Alan Fanica. You had um, Troy Polamalu. You had Bill Cower. You had Shell. You had so many people rocking the black and gold. And then all the people that also are a lot of them ex-Hall of Famers or you know, previous Hall of Famers that were introducing them. Uh, Paul Amalu had Dick LeBeau introduce him. Um, Bill Cower had Rooney introduce him. So it's, it was really cool to see and, and was really an exciting moment. But because of COVID, they had two classes here. So there was a lot of speeches. I didn't tune into all of them. But I think my favorite was definitely Peyton Manning. He added a lot of humor into it, a lot of appreciation. Uh, appreciativeness to the other hall of famers in his class. Edron James was also introduced and they played together. The edge, one of my favorite players as a kid outside of Peyton Manning. And then he talked about the future of the sport. 
And there's rumor after that, just, you know, how invested is that? Maybe he could, you know, take Roger Goodell's job in the future. What a face of football that would be to Peyton Manning be running the president and operations of the NFL. Really awesome speech. I listened to Bill Cowers as well. Listen to Troy Polamalu's. Troy's was really cool. He talked about the Steeler culture, and he said that if you're accepted, they would say you could have played with us, you know, all the, the black and gold Super Bowl winners uh, of the 80s. And then um, who else did I listen to? I listened to one more. I can't remember. But really good speeches, really clever, really uh, creative thoughts put into those. Um, but if you haven't checked them out, highly recommend checking them out. That's it in the NFL, right? Uh, we have the full week of preseason kicking off tomorrow. I believe most of the teams play Thursday. That's usually the case for a couple weeks, and then they start putting them into the weekend. Um, a lot of them will be televised somewhere, ESPN, NFL Network, somewhere. So definitely check that out. But let's switch it up to the fight game. We have some UFC action. We had UFC 265, plus some fight announcements. Uh, Alexander Volkov versus Mar Marcin Tibera. Uh, which is a good heavyweight bout. Um, a grappler versus a striker will be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I think I'd probably take Volkov when the time comes to analyze this fight. But nonetheless, another fun heavyweight fight in the mix. Derek Brunson versus Darren Till. What a fun fight this will be. Derek Brunson really looking good of late, and Darren Till's performed at a high level the past few years. We have a fight that I said potentially could happen. Edmund Shabazian versus Nasardine Amavov, who had just won recently, did it pretty easily, going to be fighting again this year against a higher-ranked Edmund. And then Chad Mendez coming out of retirement, one of my a guy I always rooted for. Uh, he's joining Bare Knuckle Boxing. You could tell, I haven't watched his Joe Rogan yet, I'm sure he talks about it there, but you could tell, just following him on social media, he was itching to get back into training, fighting some sort, and now he gets to go to Bare Knuckle Boxing, supposedly they're paying big contracts, and he's got to be the biggest name there at this moment, so hey, props to you. And then Jacare, Ronaldo Jacare Souza retiring, uh, he fought Derek Holland, had his arms snapped in half. Uh, but a true vet of the sport, a true martial artist, a true jiu-jitsu uh, uh, badass. Uh, a lot of fights that I've respected watching Jacare Souza. So tip of the cap to you, Mr. Jacare. A well-done career. Sad to see you go. UFC 265. So close to winning my parlay this week. It really killed me that I didn't. I actually recorded the fights. Well, I didn't record them. I recorded the prelims. I bought the ESPN pay-per-view because you could watch it a couple days later. I had my best friend's mom come into town. We went to dinner, so I didn't want to blow him off for the fights. So I ended up watching him on Sunday. Um, but let's start off in the early or in the prelims with Jessica Penne. I had picked against her. I uh, did not put it in my parlay, thank goodness. But Jessica Penne with the first round submission of Carolina uh, Kowalowicz, however you say her last name, did not go how I expected. I figured Carolina would focus on her strengths and try to keep this game's uh, fight standing. But she ran right into Penne's strengths, which was a head scratcher. Uh, once it went to the ground, Penne made work of what she had to finish with the fight with that nasty arm bar, which scored her performance of the night bonus. Uh, Penne had 21 total strikes to Carolina's 28. I thought Carolina was going to be the aggressor. Try to keep a standing, but Penne went down into full guard, said, come on, bring it. She went in there. Very tough, bad idea. Uh, Penne has now won both of her fights since she has been back from that suspension that had her out since 2017. Um, she has moved up to number 15th in the rankings. 
I'd love to see her against Angela Hill or Amanda Lemos, anyone in the top 15. I'm sure after that fight, she didn't take any damage. She's going to want to have another fight probably before the end of the year, put a three fights this year um, because, you know, she is a little bit older. She doesn't have a lot of time to move up in the ranks. And if she's still fighting, I'm sure if you're still fighting, you have a, uh, an idea of being back into contention. So we'll see what happens. We had Alonzo Menafield with the unanimous decision over Ed Herman. And this is pretty much as what I expected. The younger Menafield was able to be faster, the more concise striker in this match. He had 94 total strikes to Ed's 42, and he also had a takedown. Alonzo is now on a two-fight win streak. I would like to see him fight someone like Amisha Serkinov uh, or someone up, up a little bit higher in the rankings. That would make sense. Uh, but yeah, good good bout by Menafield against a very good veteran Ed Herman. You know, Ed, like I said, as long as he keeps winning, he was on a three-fight win streak. I'm sure he's super into it. I'm not too sure where his head's at from here. And, you know, if there's still plenty of fights for him in a very tough division. Um, but, yeah, good good fight by Mr. Alonzo. I did not put him in the parlay, but we did pick Alonzo. This was the first parlay fight to headline the prelims. We had Rafael Fiziev with the unanimous decision over Bobby Green. And this was a great banger. Uh, this was fight of the fight of the night. I'm no not surprised, uh, but it was a great test for Rafael uh, against a very veteran, you know, scrappy, high IQ Bobby Green, and a little bit of an unorthodox fighter. Now, what was weird is Green clearly won round three. I mean, that, that's easy enough. He was really laying it on. His physique was was tiring out. So I don't agree with the unanimous decision at all. The judging's definitely been skeptical of late. Uh, but Green did have 143 total and significant strikes versus Rafael's 104 total and significant. But I knew this would be a fight of the night candidate. This was a, a lot of fun to watch. Um, not only was this fight a blast, but Fazeev was able to conquer it, and he showed out. He really did. He moves up to number 14th in the rankings, which isn't like, you know, oh, he's like barely in the top 15. This is a lightweight class that is stacked. To me, this this class and um, the bantamweight class are the most fun in the UFC. So that's a big accomplishment for him. Um, I could see a fight against maybe Drew Dober or Demir Ismagulov. Um, obviously, them putting him in the rankings, he leapfrogged quite a few people. So there's definitely not a lack of options for fights. Probably the most interesting one would be Brad Riddell. But I believe Brad Riddell has a fight. Let's see. Mm. he called out Gregor Gillespie, which would be an amazing fight. So he doesn't necessarily have a fight next. So that'd be fun. But I would assume Fazeev takes some time off. It's not going to be right, right back in the saddle. Probably fight early next year. Uh, give me a Bobby Green versus Jeremy Stevens, though. Give me that veteran fight. They've never fought each other. Uh, Jeremy Stevens got tapped out last fight, but still likes to throw down. That would be a fight for fight fans. So uh, that'd be fireworks. Sean Shelby, Dana White, book that shit up. In the main card, we had Sonya Dong with a split decision over Casey Kenny, and what a great way to start the main card. Casey was the aggressor and the guy who pushed the pace, but Song was definitely able to counter Casey very well and, and clearly had the quicker hands. Casey did look for some takedowns, but only got one at the end of the round two and really couldn't do anything with it. This is a very hard fight to judge. I do agree with the Song decision here, even though it killed my parlay, as I picked Casey Kenny because I picked against him last time. Um, and he looked a lot better than I thought. You could go for the way of Casey Kenny here, which 
you know, obviously for my parlay, I wish it wish it did. But uh, yeah, I'm not mad about the song decision. He had 121 total strikes and 116 significant versus Casey's 85 total and 78 significant. But like I said, the bantamweight division is so stellar right now. Uh, but this was a, a very fun fight. At only 23, Song restarts his winning streak. And I'd love to see him take on Dominic Cruz or Marlon Vera. I've heard rumors of Dominic Cruz versus Marlon Vera. So maybe that happens and he has to fight someone else. But there's not a lack of opponents in the bantamweight division. That is for sure. Where for Casey, you know, he's going to be back at it. But that's two really, really tough close losses. I'd like to see him take on Trevin Jones or Rayoni Barcelos. Both of those would be banger alerts for sure. But again, the bantamweight division is yoked. Can't wait to see what happens with these guys. Then we had Tisha Torres with the unanimous decision over Angela Hill. Another pretty predictable fight. This fight wasn't as close as the t- uh, as close as the first one, as the tiny tiny tornado was in total control, and it wasn't as close as the first fight on the main card. She kept Angela at range with her kicks and her body shots, and really Angela wanted to be able to pressure her, put her up against the cage, um, be able to take her down. But Tisha was very precise. She had great footwork, and her strikes were really just able to land and um, were definitely causing damage. Hill didn't have the head movement necessary. She kind of stayed in place, which isn't going to get the job done with the tiny tornado. Um, But Tisha landed 166 total strikes and 144 significant, where Angela had 99 total and 96 significant. Hill did get two takedowns, but wasn't able to get in position with them. They were more scramble-ish. And Tisha is now on a three-fight win streak, and she asked after the fight in the uh, post-fight interview for a top-five opponent. So how about Yang Shinyon or Nina Nunez as she now moves up to number nine? There's not a lack of opponents here. She has fought a lot of the people in this division. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what she does next as she's looked as good as she ever has. Where Angela Hill, she could fight Jessica Penne uh, or maybe Felice Herrig as she drops to number 14th in the weight class. And then we had a very interesting fight. We had Vicente Luque with the first round submission via Darce Choke over Michael Chiesa. And this fight started exactly how I expected. Chiesa found a way to get on top. He wanted to smother Vicente. But then all of a sudden, Vicente found a way. You know, he's a very good jiu-jitsu artist. He found a way to roll over into a Darce Choke, and it was game over for Chiesa as he tapped out. Chiesa now drops down to number seven in the rankings, where Luque is on a four-fight win streak. And is now the real deal as he moves up to number four in a stacked class. If you're not aware of this class, the top people are Usman, Covington, Gilbert Burns, and Leon Edwards. So yeah, this weight class is freaking stacked. Now, um, very tough loss for Chiesa. Um, For Luque, I would say he is deserving of a title shot. But can you really put him above Gilbert Burns and Edwards after Gilbert Burns' performance with Wonderboy? I feel like Sean Shelby and Dana White would rather not have Burns fight Usman again. Um, you know, I would say Edwards still is higher up in the ranks. But hey, very good win for Vicente. He's right in there. And for Chiesa, he should be back. You know, he's looked great in this weight class. So it was just kind of a, a crazy sequence of events where he says he got the emotions got to him and he cracked. But, you know, he was in the position he wanted to be for, for the start. So I don't know. It's hard to say. But maybe he could fight someone like Bilal Hamid, Muhammad, or Stephen Thompson after the Gilbert Burns fight. 
but whoever wins this fight is right in position uh, for a title shot. So Luke should be right there. And then we had the co-main event, Jose Aldo with a unanimous decision over Pedro Munoz. And Aldo came out looking fucking shredded, my man. Woo! I love seeing him in the bantamweight division. He was faster. He was a stronger striker, which really says a, a lot for a very good brawler in Pedro Munoz. And to me, he looks continues to look improved fight after fight since he lost to Connor. He landed 114 totals and significant strikes to Munoz's 75 total and significant. This was another slugfest in the bantamweight division, and this was the fight that everyone wanted to see. Aldo is now on a two-fight win streak. Like I said last week, a fight against TJ Dillashaw would be insane. He even mentioned it. Or maybe Rob Font, since I think TJ does get the title shot, the winner of Aljo Puterian, and that's what he wants. Supposedly, he's got to do that knee surgery now. He needs to have eye surgery. So I wouldn't imagine that happens, as Aldo said he would like to do it in December. But I'd be pumped for Munoz against Deshaun O'Malley, give him the Sugar Show or a Dominant Cruz either way. And then the main event, pretty much like I expected it. I didn't expect a TKO, though. Uh, Cyril gone with a third-round knockout of Derek Lewis, and Gain was able to keep Lewis at range, right? He attacked his legs, so he couldn't throw his signature power strikes, and this became a showing-out party for Gain. A lot of people were making fun of him as being a boring fighter. He was getting booze, didn't let any pressure get to him, and he didn't even have to go out the five rounds to outscore Lewis like I thought he would. He was clearly the better and more athletic fighter and was able to find Lewis's weaknesses and he was able to attack in, fear, in flurries, right? Multiple punch combos. And I think he was just able to realize he was clearly a better striker and Derek Lewis's mobility was limited. So I'm going to finish this fight. I don't know how much more we'll see of Derek Lewis. You know, he was almost done a few years ago with back pain. And this is the second time fighting for a title fight and losing. He is 36. So if he does come back in action relatively soon, I could see him against maybe Jarzinho Rosenstrike as he moves down to number three in the division. And then Gain, obviously undefeated. He should be fighting Francis Ngannou for the real champion status. But this fight will be better than the Lewis fight. But I do expect a lot of the same. Vegas has even gotten Gain as an early favorite. But all I keep thinking about is the potential of Gain versus Jones or Cyril Gain versus uh, Stipe Miocic. Those are the fights that will really be blockbuster fights and will just be five rounds of fucking chaos. But hey, good, great, not good, great 265 card. Enjoyed that card a lot. We have the Saturday off, and the next is uh, in, on August 21st. We have the Killer Gorilla versus Kevin Gastelum, which I'll dive into next week. But because, uh, you know, nothing to uh, preview this week, I figured we could just go through the divisions and see if this person's going to be, if the title holders in each division, if I think they'll be there for a while. So in flyweight, we have Brandon Moreno. His top competitors is obviously Divison Figueredo, who Moreno says he doesn't want to fight again, which I don't blame him. We have Askar Askarov, who's up and down and hitting weight, who's looked good and, and improved. Alexander Pintoya. And then from there, there's maybe some good up-and-comers in Brandon Royval, Kai Kara France, uh, Matt Schnell, obviously Cody Garbrandt coming in against Kai Kara France. I think Brandon Moreno is going to hold this down for a little while, though. I think he finishes the, the next fight, potentially two fights as the champion. The only ones I could see him really dethroning him right now would be Cody Garbrandt or one of these younger dudes in the division that could make some moves. 
When we look at bantamweight, Aljamain Sterling's technically the champion. I think we could all agree Peter Jan's most likely going to beat him. I am rooting for Aljamain. I picked Aljamain in the first fight, but watching that fight, Peter Jan was clearly the better fighter. Him coming off that re that replaced disc in his neck, I don't know if he's just going to be able to be a way better fighter than their last fight. Um, but from there, I do think TJ Dillashaw gets the fight against Peter Jan. I think TJ Dillashaw does win. So I think mid-level next year, TJ Dillashaw is going to be the champion of the bantamweight division. And I do think Jose Aldo is going to be right there. Uh, Jose Aldo, I think potentially Sugar Sean is going to be right up there. So there's going to be some new names in the bantamweight division, uh, but it's a very fun stack division I've said numerous times. And then in featherweight, this one's interesting. We have Volkanovski versus Ortega coming off Ultimate Fighter here soon. I do think Volkanovski wins that fight, which then makes things interesting. If Holloway is going to fight Yair Rodriguez, who is the next title contender for this? Right? We have the Arnold Allen. Josh Emmett hasn't fought since destroying his knee. Dan Ige's lost. Barbosa fights Chikadze. You know, maybe you put Barbosa in there. But I think Volkanovski is going to hold this down for a while. The only person I could see beating him is Holloway. But I don't see a Volkanovski-Holloway fight happening anytime in the next year. So, yeah, I think Volk's going to hold down the featherweight. And then in lightweight, we have Charles Oliveira. I think he does lose to Dustin Poirier. And I think Dustin Poirier is the champion. I would love to see Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. That's a potential fight that will cause some chaos. But I think Dustin Poirier is truly the best lightweight but I don't think he's going to hold it down very long because he seems uninterested and willing to put the commitment in for the, for uh, a few more years. I don't see anyone beating Usman. I'll tell you that right now. I want him to see him move up in divisions. And I think I am going to pick Robert Whitaker over Israel Adesanya when that happens. So I don't see Izzy. I see him losing and coming back though, but I don't see him holding that down long term. And then in light heavyweight, we have... Uh, Jan Blakovich, he's taking on Teixeira. I do expect him to get through that. But then there's just a lot of young studs. We have Yuri Alexander Rechik. We have um, Dominic Reyes still in the mix, right? We have a lot of young guys within this division. Ryan Spann moving up. Uh, that I don't think he's going to hold it over that long. He is a, an older gentleman. So I, I, I don't give him a full year or two in that uh, as a champion. And then in heavyweight, wait, we have Ngannou. We have gone. I think Gon beats Ngannou, and I think John Jones is the champion in the next year. Dana White says 2022. I think John Jones has silently wanted to wait to 2022 to figure out this new weight gain and, and uh, speed and how to move at heavyweight, um, which is cool. It is what it is. But I do think John Jones is the heavyweight champion. So that's just some insight of where I see the divisions at. You know, a quick glimpse, not some deep dives. But I thought it would be kind of fun to look at that. But let's talk NBA. Uh, we do have Summer League happening right now. Uh, Off-season moves happening, so still some headlines to talk about. The first one being CJ McCollum will succeed CP3 as the NBA Player Association president. Um, I love me some CJ McCollum. He's just a true, genuine dude. I think the NBA is in good hands there. And then how about my Utah Jazz, man? If I were to try to draw up a scheme of how Utah can improve from last year, I couldn't even come close to what that front office has done. And a lot of that's done to, you know, the only reason I think Rudy Gay joined is Mike Conley influence. Plus, we are a true contending team. And then Eric Paschal traded to the Jazz for a second round pick. This guy can defend. He could play a small ball center. He could shoot. And he is literally childhood friends with Donovan Mitchell. I think that's really the true only reason that happened. And the... 
Uh, Warriors don't have good rotational minutes for him. You know, he's obviously out of like the seven, eight man rotation, but for the Jazz, they're going to have to hold out minutes for a lot of these guys to keep them fresh for playoffs. And this Pascal move is definitely big. Team USA winning the gold over France. All the doubters, you know, put in your place. I was never, like I said, truly worried. I did figure it was taking them time to get chemistry because they're missing a lot of the big names. But France was the real deal. They had Evan Fournier. They have the Stifle Tower and Rudy Gobert. Uh, great performance, though. USA bringing home the gold and controlling that um, sequence of just USA being dominant. Uh, Danny Green re-signing with Philly for two years. Huge move for them as they need to have more shooters. Uh, and, you know, still to be determined what the hell happens with Ben Simmons. I know they're trying to move him. Julius Randle, the most improved player last year, um, extending his contract with the Knicks for four years. I'm sure the Knicks like that, especially if he could keep playing at the level he did last year. I like that move. I like the Danny Green move. Uh, Lou Williams signing a one-year deal with the Hawks. Like that move as well. Give him some veteran leadership. Help kind of coach through uh, what Trey Young's going through. Masse Yurji uh, agreeing to be the president of the Raptors. There was rumors the past few years since they won if he would leave or stay. I like the Raptors team. I like what he does in Toronto. And I'm sure he has a lot of, of push in, in the, the conversation of what's happening with that franchise. So I'm sure he got paid well. He's happy there. Kelly Oubre Jr., two-year deal with the Hornets. The Hornets are just signing a, random, a lot of random dudes, so I'm interested to see what happens, what their rotation looks like. They have a lot of guards and a lot of shooters, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Not too sure how I feel about that one. And the biggest win of last week to me was a recent one as the Celtics signed Dennis Schroeder to a one-year $6 million deal. Dennis Schroeder is a high-level performing point guard. He is young. He is only going to improve. I thought that was a still and very good for Boston. I mean, how old is this this young man? He's 27, right? He's not even in his NBA prime. Let's see. Depth chart. And obviously, Boston lost Kemba, Wa uh, Kemba Walker. So they have Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard. They also have Chris Dunn. So, yeah, great move for them. I think that's going to be great for them to have a high-paced athletic guard that can shoot. And one tier six million. Come on, now. Uh, Andre Iguodala returning to the Warriors for a one-year deal. I don't know. I love me some Iggy. I was so happy when he got the NBA Finals MVP. You know, he really deserved it. He's one of those guys that's like a journeyman, finally had his chance to shine. But what is he really going to do for the Warriors? You know, there's some regular season minutes, playing some defense, some some good locker room presence. But I don't think you could look into that one too much. As expected, the number one free agent, Kawhi Leonard, staying with the Clippers. He's obviously recovering from a torn ACL. You would assume he'd be out majority of the season. But in today's world with ACL recovery, he is the claw. Who freaking knows? Uh, the Bucks trading for Grayson Allen. That's a move I like. He's an improved three-point shooter. He plays decent defense, so... Um, just more shooters around the team. You can't complain about that. The Clippers re-signed Reggie Jackson two years on a cheap discount. Huge move for the Clippers. I expected him to stay, so I like that move for sure. Alfred Payton signing with the Suns for some depth chart. Who knows? He might be the next guard that CP3 puts under his wing and improves and gets a fat contract. Uh, as they have Cameron Payne, Cameron Payne staying, um, they add him for some, some depth and it'll be interesting to see how he does under the CP three mentorship. 
Kevin Durant signing a four-year extension for $198 million. No surprise there. The Nets are supposedly working on Harden and Kyrie extensions as we speak. And speaking of extensions, Luka Doncic staying with the Mavs, five-year extension. They definitely missed in the offseason. They keep their guy. And this is the face of basketball, in my opinion. A lot of people are still on the Zion train. But this is the white LeBron James. Huge move for the Mavericks, getting him locked in for five years. That's it in NBA. Let's dive into some MLB. I talked last week really deep in MLB. We talked about all the moves. I talked about contenders, pretenders. As is such in the MLB world, there's usually a handful of teams that are going for it and a handful of teams that really have a chance to win. But there was some news. Anthony Rendon going under season-ending hip surgery. Brutal for the Angels. They weren't going to make the wild card anyway, so it's better now than later in the offseason where he might miss some of next year. But this is a, a bad contract so far. Anthony Rendon has not been Anthony Rendon. They paid him a shit ton of money, and a lot of these big offseason offensive contracts have not played out for the Angels. Anthony Rendon, such a genuine, you know, low-key dude, does not lock, like the spotlight on him. I really hope this works out, but as of now, we're, you know, Jack Mayfield randomly coming in, Captain Jack hitting good balls. So, yeah, as an Angels fan, this is brutal. I just, fingers crossed that it ends up working out next year, as I think next year is their true opportunity to make moves. The field of dreams happening with Chicago White Sox versus the Yankees. Uh, I guess Tony La Russa can't make it. Some death or funeral he has to go into. But how cool is that field of dreams stadium? They're rocking old school unis. Just a cool thing to see as a kid that you know grew up watching those the that that movie and different things. Like I would love to be able to play in a field like that. A guy that I had on all three of my fantasy baseball teams, Ramon Laureano, getting an 80-day suspension for cheating using performance enhancing substances you know they got uh, Marte in the trade so I think they'll be okay but tough loss for the A's the Phillies officially retiring number 34 for Mr. Holiday I just always think of that Phillies team and how deep their pitching was and just how stacked that team was but this guy was just a fucking animal so I'm not surprised that they had retired his his number he had played from 98 to 09, or to, yep, 09 in Toronto, and then four years in Philly, two all-star appearances. I mean, some of these numbers are insane. In 2010, his first year with Philly, he had 250 innings. He was the Cy Young, sixth in MVP voting. He had, what was his ERA? A 104-1 whip. An ERA of 167. Like his stats are just on year. 16 years in the game. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight all-star appearances. Was Cy Young twice, second in voting twice. Yeah, I mean, if you know baseball, you know it. You know Roy Holiday. Sad story of what happened to him. Uh, but this guy is unreal. Let's see if it has this war on here. It has to be insane, you'd think. Player value pitching. So many stats. War. 65.4 war for a pitcher in 16 seasons. That sums it up pretty great. Bravo, Mr. Holiday, on an amazing career. And that's awesome that the Phillies retired that number. Pool holes hitting a homer against the Angels in the freeway series. Had to bring that up. I talked about when they signed him. That was the one thing I didn't want to happen. And I imagine that he's going to have clutch home runs in the playoffs. 
But yeah, brutal that he went there, even though Jared Walsh has become an amazing player and we get more playing time for some of the young guys. The Yankees having issues. All these new guys, all these power hitters. Gliber Torres is on IL. Probably won't be back anytime soon. Anthony Rizzo on the COVID list. So they're battling a lot of issues. will be interesting to see if they can even make the wild card. Let, speaking of wild card, let's talk about the standings. We have the Rays four games up on the Red Sox now. They're running away with the division. I'm not really surprised. The sexy pick to win the division start of the year was the Yankees. Um, you knew they'd make trade deadline moves, but the Rays always finding a way and the Red Sox coming down to earth a little bit. The Astros are now two games up on the Athletics for the um, AL West. Obviously, the A's have the wild card spot, but they hold a little bit bigger of a lead. And the Phillies starting to take the lead two games up in that very good NL East division we've been talking about all year. Um, there are two games up on the Braves and uh, two and a half in the Mets. We'll be interesting to see how this plays out. All of these teams have made moves during the trade deadline. All of them have had ebbs and flows. But I'm liking the Phillies' chances at this point. And the Giants still gaining ground. Four up on the Dodgers. The fucking San Francisco Giants. The, probably the most mesmerizing team. We've deep-dived them. We've talked about them. Four games now on the very, very deep Dodgers. The Yankees two and a half um, back in the wild card. And the Blue Jays three games back out of the wild card. Very close there to see how these teams play out. That division is just eating uh, eating itself themselves up. And the Reds, surprisingly, only three games back from the Padres for the NLL card. So a little race there to, to take note of. So let's talk last weekend's matchups. Obviously, the Dodgers beat the Angels 2-1. to one. Glad we didn't get swept. The White Sox sweep the Cubs. The Phillies swept the Mets. Big sweep for them. And a huge sweep for the Blue Jays as they swept the Red Sox. Um, in a very tough AL wildcard battle, the Yankees beat the Mariners 2-1. The Mariners stole the last game of the series to avoid the sweep. And the Giants beat the Brewers 2-1 because why not? The Giants, of course, beating a very good team. So what's up in store this weekend? Not a lot of huge wildcard positioning. Last weekend was definitely more prevalent. Astros play the Angels. Angels try to stay within striking distance, stay above 500. Uh, the Reds play the Phillies as the Reds are trying to chase down the Padres and the Phillies are trying to stay ahead. We have Dodgers versus Mets and two big NL battle, uh, two big NL teams battling. And then Blue Jays versus Mariners as they try to stay within distance of the wild card. Outside of that, we're going to close with the Summer Olympics. The Olympics had wrapped up. The two things that I was most excited about was USA basketball. They stole the gold. And USA wrestling. I love me some wrestling. Uh, interested to see where these guys go with their career. If any of them go to some, try to go into mixed martial arts. But David Taylor, favorite, winning the gold for USA. Um, Gable Stevenson, the young stud, probably the biggest stud I've ever seen. Probably the biggest headlines we've ever seen. First year... Most young guys like that don't come out of college and get an Olympic roster. He got on there and came back, got a, uh, a two-point takedown right at the end of the match to steal gold. What a fucking performance. Some other big names just short of gold. Kyle Snyder getting silver, going against a very good Russian. And Kyle Dake getting third. Rumor, you know, there was debate that his weight class 74 kilograms was the most competitive division as he fought a champion for the third uh so there's a champion first, second, third, and fourth. He lost to the guy that won. He ends up beating a very good Italian wrestler to get third. Um, elsewhere, Allison Felix breaking Carl Lewis's record for most Olympic medals in U.S. track history. 
She gets another gold with for her 11th medal. Uh, this was in the 4x100. Nelly Corda wins gold in women's golf. U.S. women's favorite. Doesn't happen very often. Obviously, USA basketball got gold. And USA beat China for most gold medals and most overall medals. Bravo as the women's basketball got gold. Let's pull up the total, see if ESPN still has them. It's over now, so they, yeah, of course, cleared up. So USA, 113 total medals to China's 88. 39 golds to 38 from China. Every single one of them counted. What a fun race that was. I really enjoyed the Olympics. You know, with the crazy time differences, I didn't get to see a lot of stuff live. Um, I didn't wake up at 2 a.m. for some of the wrestling, but I did get to see some wrestling. I saw the semifinal and final for USA Basketball, so that, that'll do. Uh, Messi leaving Barcelona and chooses PSG with a two-year deal. They just introduced him yesterday. Lots of craziness going on there. The fact that Messi is out and is with PSG. Episode 39 there for you guys, right? We'll have a, probably a couple other quicker episodes coming at you through August until the NFL kicks off. And then we're talking football, baby. I'm so excited. I already forgot. Hard knocks. Got to talk about that quickly. Good first episode. You got the Dallas Cowboys. They announced, well, Dak Prescott said himself that he ended up having two surgeries on his foot. Um, I knew that that's no surprise to me, but the fact that he's recovered, supposedly okay, really has me hoping his shoulder's okay. I hate to see players hurt, even if it's different teams. But lots of fun headlines here. I'm excited to see C.D. Lamb. I'm excited to see Mika Parsons, who literally acts and seems like a child. He's just a young kid out there, still learning the ways. Uh, it's going to be a fun season of Hard Knocks, a video production. The Just everything they do is so well done, uh, 10 out of 10. So definitely tune into that. And check out FieldSupplements.com. If you're buying supplements, use my promotion code BUCKETS. B-U-C-K-E-T-S for 15% off. And we'll see you guys next week.